So more oxygen, more energy, more diaphragmatic activation. It means a more calm nervous system. And just those two changes are life hacks. One of the roots of happiness and purpose comes from having uh, creative exploration. My main anchor for presence is in the sensations in my body. So practicing while having this conversation with you, I'm feeling the sensations in my chest and in my legs and in my hands. Welcome to another episode. My guest today is Manish Blaha. He's a UK trained medical doctor, the first doctor, the first medically trained doctor in the podcast. Super excited. A general practitioner who is now helping people with things like burnout, anxiety, depression, for in person retreats, online groups, and individual programs. He's amazing. We're part of one mastermind brotherhood group, and I really appreciate him. He's bringing lots of value, so I'm sure he'll share a lot of cool things with us they're going to talk about his journey and get some insights of how to handle burnout and depression which is close to my heart so i'm very excited manish welcome thank you for the invitation happy to be here Anthony. the first question is let's i want to talk about the upbringing but before we go there i'm really interested how did you decide to become a medical doctor i was brainwashed by my parents all right <laughs> i've always had a desire to support people and to be in service to others as a child, this is what I remember in retrospect, that my parents would be like to me, hey, you're going to be a doctor when you're older, aren't you? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor because obviously you get this positive feedback from yeah. you saying something that makes other people happy. Yeah. And so that would kind of, I think that was the conditioning. Yeah. And when I was at school, I was really looking to the highest aspiration possible for myself. And as a British Asian male, being a medical doctor was something that was was a high aspiration and once I started doing it I realized actually I'm in love with supporting people in this way so it really worked out quite well so I'm, I'm grateful for the conditioning yeah <laughs> I have to ask that question then since since you brought it up yourself that what I've been told by many people in certain who are born or raised in certain countries that their parents pushing them to go in certain professions like doctors and lawyers why is that well, I think it's what I've understood a bit about Asian culture is that some people are quite focused on how other people perceive them in society. There is a caste system in India. So people do watch for what career you do and your social status. I'm fortunate to say that my parents didn't put any pressure on me. It really was coming from me as a desire and they were supportive in that process. But I don't. I don't feel like I had the typical become a doctor or get out kind of <laughs> kind of situation. I like the accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so you moved from medical, being a medical doctor, and I don't know if it's a move or not. But to me, it sounds like a move to being a holistic health coach, if you can call it that way. I don't know if you like the word coach or not, but at least I see that as a holistic health coach. What's the difference between those two? So I would say one broad perspective and what I perceive from a lot of medical doctors that work in the National Health Service in the UK, quite often one of the first options that they'll, they'll go for is pharmaceutical treatment. Yeah. And I know pharmaceutical treatment provides a lot of benefit for a lot of people. My perspective is it doesn't get to the root cause. And the root cause a lot of the time is psychological, emotional, environmental. Yeah. And 
it's fair though a lot of them don't have the time and the space to really address those key factors but i think this is why we're having rising rates of depression anxiety and mental health issues and why we are seeing yeah seeing a lot more increase in these things in society yeah would it be fair to say and i just had uh, appendicitis recently so that's why I, I hear a lot of stories about that but fair to say if you have something that requires urgent medical help then you should go to a medical facility first like let's say you have appendicitis yeah i mean infections things like that you need surgical treatment or antibiotics blood tests are required imaging is required to get investigations it's it's amazing how far we've come in these things and and how safety's quite complicated procedures are now yeah because there was this lady uh, when i had appendicitis i asked my wife let's go right away to the hospital they made the surgery i'm fine but there was this lady here who was into spirituality and she did not tr- have no trust in doctors which i think there are like different sides of it like opposite sides one side is like we don't trust in holistic medicine we just only trust in pharmaceuticals the other side is like hey, doctors are all cheaters and stuff like that so she i assume was part of this and then she became worse and worse or worse same problem as me and then she died uh, she was going to shamans and trying to heal her so that made me think i believe that there are ways how you holistically needs to solve problems but i also believe that if you have been decided i need to cut it I just need to cut it Yeah, I mean, there are many different ways to approach all kinds of illnesses. But really what if what it boils down to is if you do have a serious infection, it limits your ability to to function in a lot of different ways. Your cardiac system, your respiratory system, your circulation, once that starts to be affected, any other alternatives uh, option that you're going to go down that that route, that will be less likely to be successful. Yeah. That's that's very good. Apart from the finding the root cause, what do you think are the other things that are missing in the traditional medical practices right now? I really feel like the environmental cause and environment it can be your relationships and the the situation that you're in in your life, how often you're working, how you're sleeping, but really it's also what you're putting into your body. And this is really what I see as the holistic perspective. It's looking at the diet, it's looking at the exercise, it's looking at alcohol toxins in the environment but it's also about the thought content it's about how what your emotions are like and how you process those emotions and i think this is a big thing that is now becoming more predominant but is still the majority of doctors are, are not being aware of yeah do you think they're not aware of that because they're trying to be ignorant or they are truly ignorant there's not something that they research or it's something that they say well this is some woo all this emotions and feelings now nah, we can sort everything out with some aspirin and some <laughs> i don't know <laughs> syringe <laughs> i went to medical school i think like 13 years ago or something like that and this is just not on the syllabus and so you can develop as a medical doctor this ego or god complex some some of them have of like i know everything i've studied i've dedicated i save lives so don't suggest anything contrary to my beliefs and it becomes this like it's cognitive dissonance is the word when you give someone information that is not in keeping with their world view yeah it can create some emotional 
turmoil it creates some some issues and i feel like there is an entirely new paradigm of medicine that is emerging and a lot of the old school professionals are not so interested in in approaching things in a new way okay i mean in how i would think if i was a doctor i would say i have a huge responsibility and i know that let's say this drug works short term a lot of them work short term if you take antidepressant you'll feel good for a week and then you'll have side effects and eventually it won't be good for you but i would say somebody come to me and say well i'm sub- I'm having a depression i would be like well these people ask my help and the only way i know how to do that it's uh, safe that i'm not going to be accountable i think they also are afraid of lawsuits and they have some some plan how they need to do certain things like this is as far as i heard there's like agenda if you come with this you should do this otherwise you get sued is that is that also the case why they would not experience it with other stuff i I think you're correct as well that um litigation being sued is a stress for a lot of, of medical professionals and so a lot of the time they're practicing from a space of i need to go down this route because this is evidence based and working more from from that structure and that can create which is why a lot of the work that i do i mean now there's so much evidence for meditation for yoga for breath work there are tons of journal articles that validate this in in the nhs in the england for depression its mindfulness is indicated for treatment resistant depression okay so that's when the medication doesn't work the the guidelines is meditation so i feel very confident even when i'm working with traditional medical clients yeah that i can suggest these things because i'm backed up now and this is why we're moving to through to this new era because it's not just spiritual it's it's not someone who's giving you a third hand report of something that they're aware of that benefited them is actually a solid evidence and foundation to that and that's how i work is based on that evidence so that I feel confident in not only sharing my own experiences and the experiences of my clients but then also this wealth of research. And you're one of those few doctors who you can call it awakened to that you need to use other tools that are better tools to save, to uh, solve the same problems. What was the catalyst? Because I assume since you were saying you were pushed into being a medical doctor, you already studied, so they ingrained some beliefs in your system already being a medical doctor. And then was that related to moving to Bali or like how does that, cat? what was the catalyst to your change? So what I wasn't aware of and what I believe a lot of people in society are not aware of is that they're in a constant state of fight or flight. So I was driving super fast on the motorway, always trying to get everything done as quickly as possible, feeling this state of rush. And that was just innate to my nervous system. And when you're in that state all of the time, it becomes normal for you. And I feel like society in a lot of ways is promoting that efficiency, productivity. And after many years of that, I was working in accident and emergency at the time. So everything is just super adrenaline focused. I had, for the first time in my life, difficulties managing the thoughts that were going through my mind. I had some stressful life experiences and it kind of tipped the balance and I was in a dark place. And a friend of mine was actually writing for Headspace at the time and I had never heard of meditation apps. For me, it was something that I didn't understand. 
and I did a Google search for the scientific benefits of meditation. And when I read them, I was just like, if 10% of these are true, yeah, then this is going to change my life. And it did. It really did. It transformed the way that I was feeling within weeks. Really? I would say that the main reason I, well, I described the, the challenge with the thoughts, after about two or three weeks of practicing mindfulness meditation for about 15 minutes a day, settled and I went back to baseline and I had some of my professional examinations and I felt that okay it improves memory it improves concentration I'm not going to be so social so let me put this into my study routine yeah and I never stopped meditating it just became a daily thing because I experienced the benefits and they have not stopped to exponentially increase yeah the thing that I struggle with. I interview lots of amazing people here, and meditation is something they all bring up. So if I if I would ask people what would be one thing you do to improve your life, ninety nine percent would say meditation. And it sounds easy: sit down, be quiet, all good. And I try to do it, but then I find excuses not to do it. And I think many people are like me: like I understand the benefits, I want to do it. And I sometimes do it. I'm like, if that's so beneficial, then I need to do it a lot, every day, as much as possible. Why do you think that's a problem for me and for other people? Well, it's really, it's breaking this addiction that a lot of people have to thought content. What we're seeing from the research is we have thoughts that drive emotions and these create neural pathways in the brain. And it's actually an addiction profile that gets developed with these emotional states. So if you're constantly thinking a certain way and then that results in you feeling a certain way, having this cycle of thinking and feeling is something that your body becomes accustomed to. So when you sit down and you come into a place of stillness, you actually become aware of all of that content. And that, for a lot of people in the early stages, can be quite uncomfortable. Another thing is that a lot of people have this idea of what meditation looks like, of what needs to be doing or how they need to be performing in yeah. in their mind and in their body but really it's the process of sitting down and becoming aware of the thought content and allowing the body to come into stillness and allowing the awareness to come onto the breath that is transformational even if it's just for five seconds so what i've been doing more and more is throughout the day just being present with my breath being present with the sensations in my body while i'm living my life And that really is the catalyst. It's not the time I'm spending sitting on the meditation cushion, which is also powerful because I get deeper into the practice. But actually, it's the way I'm carrying through life with that presence that is really catalyzing my experience of the external world. So what I hear is for people like myself, I mean, it would be easier to just say, let me do it a couple times a day for five seconds. Just calm down and just follow my breath instead of setting this big goal of I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes or if I'm going to find time I need to wake up 15 minutes early to do it which I sometimes don't so it's better to just say okay five seconds like every couple hours and just that is, that's it as often as you remember yeah you're driving the car okay I'm with my breath I'm feeling the steering wheel I'm feeling my feet on the pedals okay and then you get 
distracted. Yeah. You you come back, and it's that process that really it's that those moments of presence that the gap increases and the ability to be present with those anchors increases and then there are a huge number of other changes that come with that increased presence so i feel like cultivating as often as possible is is really valuable okay beautiful so back to your story you were burnout and then you discard meditation you googled it you tried it you liked it in two weeks your baseline how did this all evolve into being a holistic health coach it was just my entire journey that was focused on myself has been the program that I've created to support my clients with. It's been five years of this being my main focus because I don't perceive anything else that would be as valuable as the inner state, improving the level of peace inside, improving, increasing the ability to connect to joy. And so as a result of that, my personal relationships have changed with my friends and family and my ability to focus, to concentrate, to be productive, to be creative have also catalyzed my self-confidence. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge list of, of things that I can perceive that have benefited me from, from meditation. So, and, and it's, it's not only meditation, there's, there's a whole host of different tools. Meditation may not be the one that resonates with every person it's really really powerful but there are so many other things that we can employ that will give us similar types of benefits let's talk about some of those tools maybe by topic burnout is one of the biggest issues especially maybe not as much in bali though in bali too but somewhere in the west it's like the number one issue how do people start if they realize they're burnout what are small things they can do to get them out of this state apart from meditation that's a really good question the thing that we have to to consider when we're approaching burnout is the mechanism that's involved in the process so when someone is experiencing anxiety what happens is they are creating these thoughts that are triggering changes in their emotional system in their nervous system and we have two types of nervous system we have the rest and digest and we have the fight and flight nervous system and really what we need is a balance between the two too much rest and digest and we're a potato yeah. and too much fight or flight and we're experiencing stress now the different ways that we can interface with that meditation is amazing interfacing with the mind and the thoughts yeah. so what actually triggers the issues that people have with anxiety it's not actually the thoughts themselves it's actually this process of believing the thoughts or associating with them as you so we have the ability to be aware of thoughts or we have the ability to be swept up by them and what we would tend to say is that was a state of unconsciousness because you're entirely in the thought story and creating that space between becoming the observer and being totally engulfed in the, the drama that the thoughts could be painting, yeah. it changes the response that the body has internally. So let's say we're, we're brought into the thought story, we've become unconscious. Well, what triggers is chemicals in the brain that change our nervous system. Now, the fight or flight nervous system, it is the type of nervous system that we developed when we were hunter-gatherers and we were 
running away from a lion. It gives us huge amounts of energy and it helps us fight or run run for our lives. The only thing is that the mind doesn't realize the difference between something that you're thinking and something you're actually experiencing. There's no discernment. So if you were to sit down, and I'm sure a lot of people in your podcast understand an aspect of this, when you sit and you visualize certain experiences, your body prepares itself as if you're actually having that experience. And that rehearsal can be very valuable if you're going up and doing a podcast or yeah. a talk in front of a group of people it can be helpful for that. But the converse also happens when you are worried about something that may happen in the future. Your body then creates the same neuropeptides that have the same changes in your nervous system. And you experience that physiologically. So the fight or flight response will be releasing adrenaline, which raises your heart rate and your blood pressure, secreting cortisol, another stress hormone that changes the way insulin works in your body, makes your breath rapid and shallow, so the oxygenation of your body is reduced, shuts off your digestive system, so you're getting less energy from your food and you develop digestive problems, and it parks your immune system. Because when you're running for your life or fighting for your life, you're not worried about a cold virus. Yeah. And that can create issues with autoimmune problems and increasing issues with simple everyday viral illnesses. Yeah. It's actually a really good point. I also noticed that there's a great book called Untethered Soul, uh, where they talk about how crazy our mind is. And it's funny how we think that everything we are thinking is us. So we can think of a whole bunch of things that we're associated with ourselves. And I never thought about it that way, but that's true. We just like, we go around and we see things, we think about them. And then at some point we take it as an identity. This is us. But in reality, this is just some crazy thinking happening all the time. You just go and think, 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 think about random stuff. And then you're just like, wow, this is real. Where it's not. Just whatever you made up. To me, that was, when I read it in the book, I was like, wow. And then I started noticing it, what crazy things I think about every day. And I was like, wow, is that something that I take as truth? Because you think if you think about it, that's truth. It's like when somebody shows you some propaganda video, like it's on TV, that must be true. Or so it's Wikipedia, that must be true. Same as like, it's in my head. Well, that must be 100% true. I'm thinking about it. But in reality, we're just apes that developed to be human. So I don't know, right? I love that book by Michael Singer. It's, it's a great, great book. And it, it creates those moments of opening in the mind. When you have something that's kind of contrary to the way that you've been operating, it creates a different paradigm of the way that you can view yourself in the world. It's a special moment when, when you have one of those experiences. So I'm grateful for sharing that. Yeah, so uh, the burnout. I'm, I'm experiencing burnout to realize to have those thoughts. I try to not associate with those thoughts. What else I can do to get less burnout or not? I mean, the better approach would be once I'm out of burnout, not to get back to burnout. Because yeah. if you still continue repeating the same loop, that's insanity and so on. Yeah, so when we're in this fight or flight response and the breath is shallow and rapid, and actually the crazy thing that we see in society is that most adults they're not using their diaphragm to breathe. The diaphragm is the biggest muscle that we have for respiration. And if you watch a baby breathe, they breathe with their belly. As they breathe in, belly comes out. As they breathe yeah. in, belly comes in. And my perspective on why this happens is we develop tension 
emotions can get stuck in the diaphragm and that limits the capacity to activate it. But it takes about two to three weeks to, to retrain the diaphragm. Now there's a nerve that goes from the diaphragm to the heart and from the diaphragm to the brain. And it's called the vagus nerve. It's a very, very powerful nerve when you're dealing with anxiety and stress-related illness. And by stretching the diaphragm, we send signals through this nerve, slows down the heart rate, reduces the blood pressure, slows down the brain waves, and is actually like a fire extinguisher for the fight or flight nervous system. So this is why where the breath and the mind intertwine. When you slow down the breath, the activity of the mind slows down. And also when we're in these stress states where the state is telling you to breathe in a certain way, you can take conscious control over the breath and we can overwrite those systems, reassuring the body, actually there's nothing to worry about here. We don't need to run for our lives. We don't need to fight for our lives. And I'm going to show you that by being with the breath, by slowing it down, by observing my thoughts, by relaxing my body. And that changes the feedback mechanism and puts a break to it. So people that experience panic attacks, a really valuable thing to do is just to do a body scan, which is just relaxing the body from the head to the toes in a systematic way, connecting with the breath and just observing all of this thought content that comes up without reacting to it. So the saying, take a couple deep breaths is exactly true. Everybody says that, but nobody really does it and thinks, well, why are we doing it? Yeah, I mean, also, if you're not breathing appropriately, if you're not activating that diaphragm, the process of breathing just with your lungs in a shallow way actually activates the fight or flight nervous system. Really? So if you were to sit there and you were to breathe rapidly, just in and out from your chest, it would create some increased sensation of anxiety in your body. Whereas if you were to do that with the diaphragm, breathing down, because the thing about the lungs is that they're kind of like wedge-shaped and the bases of the lungs have the largest area for oxygen transfer. So if you're breathing using the diaphragm, the air goes in from your nose, travels all the way down to the bases. And so then you're actually increasing the oxygen content of your blood. Oxygen is energy. Yeah. It's really important in the metabolic process. So more oxygen, more energy, more diaphragmatic activation. It means a more calm nervous system. And just those two changes are life hacks. So for anybody listening that isn't currently aware of their diaphragm or hasn't practiced or feels that they're breathing quite shallow, this is a game changer. And for somebody who never did that, where would they start? How do they learn to breathe with a diaphragm? Because I actually don't know if I breathe with a diaphragm or not. I feel I sometimes do, but like, how do I, how do I train myself to do it? Yeah, so I have some videos on YouTube specifically yeah. guiding people on diaphragmatic breathing and they're taken from my online program. But the key, the easy thing to do in this moment is you just put one hand on your belly and you put one hand on your chest. And as you breathe in from your nose, what you're doing is you're trying to push that hand on your belly out. Okay. And it feels as if what happens there is because okay. the diaphragm comes and flattens down into the abdominal organs, the process of the belly moving out is actually the organs getting squished by the diaphragm. And that's actually massaging all of the intestines and the stomach and improving digestion. Okay. 
and because the belly is expanding the lower back is actually just slightly expanding as well very very gently yeah. so this is also something that i recommend to patients of mine that have lower back pain that if you're breathing with your diaphragm you're firming the core muscles at the front and at the back with every breath and so you're less likely to hold tension in the lower back and it's like a very gentle physiotherapy that you can do for that as you're living your life very cool so when i started doing this it probably took me about two to three weeks for this just to happen automatically so i set myself mental cues whenever i hear a phone ring i'm going to breathe with my diaphragm when i'm driving the car i'm going to breathe with my diaphragm if i'm watching a show i'm going to breathe with my diaphragm and eventually you, you forget and your breathing returns to its normal patterns but just that persistent effort it's like going to the gym for that muscle yeah and there are other breathing techniques which are slightly more complicated but not very much more complicated which are specific training exercises to strengthen this muscle so activating it is one thing but when we can really strengthen it we can direct our breath deeper down into our abdomen and that has a whole host of other benefits so for this purpose just activating it is going to be very very valuable but there's there's more that we can do with that muscle that really also goes even deeper in enhancing the benefits that we discussed beautiful yeah i never knew about that i like when i breathe really deeply that i feel calmer definitely and feel much better i never knew all the benefits that you can do yourself a quick physiotherapy massaging your <laughs> massaging your internal organs by my diaphragm that's pretty cool Before we continue with the show, here's a quick note from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by 5X. As a business owner, I'm sure you know how important data layer is. It allows you to make data-driven decisions and also get insights on all aspects of your business. In practice, though, it's not that easy. It also requires signing up with different vendors, paying for custom integrations, checking multiple dashboards. 5x solves all of that think of it as apple store for data vendors meeting squared space for in-depth analytics they save you time they save you money and they save your workforce if you want to get 20 percent off your first year with them go to 5x.co schedule a demo and mention 10 million journey podcast and now let's get back to the show uh, the next one that you're dealing with the depression and to me burnout and depression are different things i experience both so i sort of know depression is just a prolonged way of not wanting anything i mean deep depression uh at least that i had would be like yeah i don't want to do anything don't want to wake up so i guess that's a little more complicated i mean still breathing probably helps but not as much so what were some of the tools for people that they can start doing when they're depressed yeah so again even though they're very different conditions they're interrelated in a lot of different ways the content in the mind is having an impact and if you can switch up the nervous system that's also going to have a big impact for someone that i would say that was depressed in that way where they really felt no motivation whatsoever it's extremely difficult to say to them okay i want you to sit here for 15 minutes and i want you to meditate so more active processes are really important so what i would say to these people were you need to work for 30 minutes in some light exercise every day and that's going to help the energy to start moving throughout the body 
but breath is a really important part of that because it really is enlivening all of the cells in the body but at the same time it's the, the thought content actually needs to change and so certain things that we can work with with people that are experiencing severe depression something that's referred to as mental house cleaning and whenever you have a negative thought you think conversely of three positive thoughts and what that does is it retrains the pathways out of going through these habitual patterns of activating the same thought pathways and shifting them and then once it's available working with meditation and then it's also looking at the other environmental things it's like looking at the diet if you're having lots of processed food if you're drinking alcohol if you're smoking these are the things that are also going to have an impact on the health as a whole another thing that's really really valuable is actually spending time in nature there's something called shrinyoku which is a japanese practice of forest bathing and it's spending 30 minutes three times a week going into nature and being present being with your breath being with your feet as you walk on the ground and just completely immersing yourself in nature and that has also an evidence strong evidence base to support people that are experiencing chronic health problems and mental health problems yeah i've been walking i guess i'm doing that in the rice fields here yeah try every day to do about uh, five kilometers of walk around rice fields. I used to do it with like audiobooks to learn things, but then I realized I don't think I need to learn more because it's just all those busy, noisy things. So I just walk and I think my thoughts. And I, before I would do like, okay, I need to know to think about anything. And now for me, it's like, okay, let's think about all the thoughts we need to think in the morning and then we can get clear. And for me, that's actually really good. I never tried it before I started doing it, but now... I would just think about all this bullshit in the morning and I'm like, okay, we're done now. We're clear. So now we can go with, with our day. That's amazing practice. Yeah. I have a similar thing, which is I call a brain dump. And for me, it happens at night where pen hits the paper and I don't think about what I'm writing. I just let my hand move and do two sides of A5 and just whatever needs to come out can just be dumped onto the paper. And my perspective is that's going to help you get a more rejuvenative sleep. So it's amazing. You're doing yeah. it at the beginning of the day because it provides you benefit to be focused. And then at the end of the day to process all the things that have happened. So a lot of people struggle with sleep and yeah. having an overactive mind is one of the reasons that people struggle to sleep. And that's one of the things that can help them just to have a reset before they go to bed. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I would never think that that would help, but it does to think more because... Uh, it's counterintuitive. Everybody says you need to think less sort of when you're in this meditative state, but apparently thinking more also helps. Which... It's a contemplative t uh, exercise and contemplation is what all of the great philosophers yeah. and inventors have done. They've allowed their minds to give them inspiration. And also not to judge. Another thing that I learn, I think those thoughts, but I'm like, I'm not judging. I'm like, okay. It's okay that I think that way. It's okay that I think about some stupid thing that happened to me five days ago. Somebody cut me on a bike and I'm still thinking how I'm going to, uh, <laughs> what I'm going to do with that person. I'm like, mm, it's probably not a good thought, but let me just think about that. It's okay. I need to let it go. <laughs> just letting it go. Awesome. Uh, Bali. Why did you come to Bali? I'd been moving around for a couple of years trying to find a new home. And I've lived in the UK for 30 years of my life and really it was a place where I could share all parts of me all the different things that I'm offering into the world and it's just an amazing place for that to be received and I feel like my creative inspiration is 
exponentially increasing by being here because there are many creative people. The nature is beautiful. The locals are beautiful. It really is one of my most favorite places in the whole world. And to be able to live here is just a blessing. So did something you feel changed in you? Because Bali changes people. At least definitely changed me. Did it change you when you came here? Yeah, majorly. And I feel like now I'm accepting the parts of me that really want to work with creating music and to show up in that way because it's just such a, yeah, such a creative space. And now I'm releasing the limiting beliefs around that. I've loved music since as long as I can remember. And again, we're going back to conditioning. It was this idea that music is not a, a valuable thing to focus on had to be grounded had to be something like medicine or building a business and so what I feel actually one of the roots of happiness and purpose comes from having uh, creative exploration for you it's the work you do with podcasts and and that's also really beautiful and I think finding that for each person is is really valuable in terms of developing quality of life yeah actually I want to talk about music because we Last time we were in our meeting, one of the guys were really excited about one of the DJing sets you did. How did that came about? How did you decide to... I would say, even better question, how did you make a leap? I guess you always liked it, but it's hard. One thing liking it, other thing is performing in front of a bunch of people. How did the transition happen? It started off when I was like 16, just exploring and then developed into just a recording mixes and putting them on SoundCloud and not really showing up in that way, but just creating music because I enjoyed to listen to compilations of the tracks that I really enjoyed. But then the catalyst happened when I started doing all of this internal work. What I feel is a barrier for showing up in a creative way are the thoughts that come up and the emotions that come up about that. You show up, you be seen, there's all these fears of how people will perceive you or how the fears of of messing up or, or these types of things and that can hold a lot of people back but when you create this space between the thought content and just being able to observe it or when the emotions come up also being able to process those emotions it means you can take a step further and further and further into into being creative and so I feel like every time that, that I play, it provides me a new opportunity to observe those thoughts and to feel those emotions. And to the point now where I'm doing it and I'm totally in the flow, totally joyful, connected, open. And I'm sure if I take a step up and I play to even more people, maybe more stuff comes up and that's welcome. And it's really about this relationship with these things now is that when they come up the way that I'm responding to them is oh amazing you're here because I'm totally going to be present with you I'm not going to push you away and in that process I understand that I'm less likely to continue to experience you and that's the relationship with emotions that a lot of people don't have I mean when we look at being I'm taking a bit of a tangent here and we'll go yeah, back yeah. to music okay. but when kids are playing up they get sent to the naughty step they're having a temper tantrum they're having an emotional release and they get taught your emotions are not acceptable and the natural process 
for releasing that emotion is with voice, with movement. They stamp their feet, they cry, they scream a bit, but they're told to stop. And so what we get taught by society is that our emotions are not welcome. And so people stop feeling them and this builds up and creates a lot of the issues that we're seeing in people's health, physical and mental. Yeah, uh, I'm doing the same thing. And this is actually a thing that I'm thinking about a lot. So maybe let's talk about that. And since you start about kids, on the one hand, I'm with you. I think that they should express their emotions. On the other hand, I'm the guy who is saying, well, if you're not going to scream too loud for seven days, I'm going to buy you something. That's what I do, which I'm like, it's probably not the best way. But if you hear a toddler screaming for a while, you're like, I guess it's issue with me. I have this belief that I need to make it stop because I can't handle it. So maybe I need to learn how to handle it. But on the other hand, it's getting crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel that I'm not doing something right, but I also feel that listening to a person screaming for my mental health, my own mental health, is not also very useful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally understand. I feel like having kids is like another initiation of life because it brings up a whole host of new things to interface with, you know, the the love, the care, the protection that you want to have over this being that, that is so precious. And at the same time, I feel it's really important that we see kids as humans and we release the hierarchy that we tend to experience in society. Yeah. And I think that's that's really valuable for parents. It ends up happening. You know, you have the parent-child relationship and then you have the adult-adult relationship. And in a lot of, I mean, with my parents, this has been a bit of a thing that we've been working through is changing the you are my child to we're both adults and let's have a friendship and a relationship from that space of us being equals. Yeah. I don't have children at the moment. I don't have children yet, but the way that I will encourage myself to treat them is equals immediately and to not have that situation arise. And I feel like that will help our relationship and also help them with a lot of different things like, like self-worth and how they want to present themselves in the world. Yeah. I'm trying to do that as best as I can and I've been treated I'm from a communist country let's say and my at least from mom's side it will be always be I'm your mother you're my child you're listening to me that is it uh, which I never did because when somebody tell you listen to me that's the worst the last thing you want to do this is like counter reaction with our kids I think it's much better because we treat them as equals to the point where they start to act a lot like kids and this becomes annoying for us and for people around us for a long time. And then something switches and you're like, okay. Because I, be, I believe that there needs to be some boundaries because if you don't set any boundaries, you're also raising your kids to failure because some people think, yeah, I mean, and it works for some. We had um, Mark and Lynette here who are homeschooling their child and they probably set boundaries as well, but not as as I am. But what I feel like, if you don't set the boundaries, then somebody else around them will, and you don't know how good those people boundaries are. Like if you don't teach them what's good, what's bad, they go to school and somebody will teach them their own ways. And I'm not sure that's going to be better. Maybe, but it's a big bet, I would say. 
that's <laughs> that's that's my two cents on this yeah i think the thing with parenthood is just know that you're always doing your best it, you know that there's a there's a reason that you you and the children are there having this relationship together and you're always going to be doing your best yeah. even sometimes where this judgment can come in about some reactions or things but we're also humans and we also have things that we're navigating and so i think the really important thing is is open communication with children sometimes if really powerful thing can be if you do something that is not necessarily in alignment with the way that you would like to have the relationship you acknowledge that with them say hey look i noticed that i spoke to you in this way or i raised my voice in this way or i lost my temper and i apologize yeah and that can be really powerful and really help that dynamic 100% yeah i do that and my wife does it we do it all the time and i think that works yeah it creates like this better relationship that okay mistakes are okay everybody makes mistakes cuz children idealize you in many ways which is amazing until you do something bad and then you feel that they copy you and then you're like oh my god what did i do and you feel i'm <laughs> such a failure because this children going to do it forever now but then it it passes but yeah i'm with you it just thinking that this is the best that i can do today i did what i could do the best if i made a mistake let me try to fix it and move on because as if you carry it with you longer then it becomes a bomb a ticking bomb well i didn't know we're getting to children but i'm happy we are because that's that's topic on my in my head uh, every day another interesting thing you feel in questionnaire and you talked about tantric practices this is second person the first person you might guess who it is ed was here uh, and he was talking about tantra and i have uh, i i only know what he said cuz i did not research any what's tantra what's tantric practices so i want to see what's what is it in your opinion and how beneficial it is okay so let's relate this to what we've been discussing the more that we can be present in our lives the less we're experiencing psychological emotional t- turmoil the more present we are the more focused we are the more productive we are these types of things it's the basis of what meditation is my main anchor for presence is in the sensations in my body so practicing while having this conversation with you i'm feeling the sensations in my chest and in my legs and in my hands and it starts off when you first start embodying your consciousness maybe it's just the hands that you feel it's like the the, the practice for that would be okay close your eyes how do you know your hand is still there well maybe there's a buzzing or a tingling or some vibration there and the more that you practice feeling your body these connections between the body and the mind increase they strengthen and so then the sensations in the body become a really powerful anchor for presence and also when you're experiencing challenging emotions you're feeling them in real time and so you're immediately aware of them and you gain a lot more information on them and you're able to manage them a lot more effectively so how this ties into tantra well tantra is based on or related to the um ancient indian yogic philosophy that states that everything is energy which quantum physics is now validating yeah we are 99.9% space also validated by quantum physics and so in this energetic system we have energy centers 
and these energy centers supply the physical body with with energy now tantra is a very very broad broad spectrum but i feel what we be very valuable to talk about here is in this context of being more present in the body so as we start to liberate emotional energetic blockages within the body what happens is there's an increase in flow and with this increased flow the sensations increase and therefore it becomes easier to be present in the body because there's a lot more to feel it takes your attention a lot more than it would be and so a lot of people are disembodied where they're very very focused on the content of the mind and not in touch with what's going on in their body but how this relates to holistic health is if you go and have a mcdonald's you feel immediately what that what impact that has in your body and then the conditioning that results in that is okay i ate this thing and now i feel rubbish so i'm not going to do that again my relationship with alcohol i was drinking alcohol quite a lot when i was a student and then recreationally when i would be with friends probably up until the age of 28 and it was when i started practicing meditation where i felt less of a desire because i would have a drink and then i would feel like actually i have less energy now or actually i'm enjoying myself less now and so it just became something that i no longer had interest in doing and it's not me saying it's right or wrong it was just i discovered through feeling my body that actually it wasn't having a beneficial impact on on how i feel so it's just no brainer to to not do that and so that then also supports diet you eat something or smoking or actually environments certain environments will make you feel a certain way and then you realize actually no spending time with this person or these people or doing these activities actually doesn't feel good for me so it gives you a whole host of information that if you're not in connection with the body you don't receive and so you're able to live your life in in a much more aligned way wow and how can people start learning about tantric practice or is there any tantric practice they can apply to see if, to connect with the body better i guess yeah so i would say at the very very basic that the start would be the body scan practice so the body scan practice is this meditation where you first you start by connecting to your breath and then you just place your awareness at the top of your head and you just slowly feel the sensations there and then you relax and then you move down from the top of your head and you can find guided meditations on the body scan and you just gradually relax the body while feeling all of it and that is going to increase the connection between the mind and the body okay and and it, it goes much much deeper with the different types of meditation or the different focus of your meditation but at the very basic that is really powerful also really useful for sleep as well when people struggle to sleep the body scan meditation is a big thing that i recommend i tried something similar to that and correct me if i'm wrong so then when you feel some blockage in somewhere let's say you do a body scan and then you feel i don't know my shoulder is hurting then you try to put energy into that point and then sometimes it releases a muscle they're relaxed and, and you can feel better right well yeah the key is just becoming aware of it you just so if you have an area of numbness or tightness or pain or constriction 
the idea is actually not to try to do anything other than just observe it because the way that we have energy flowing through the body is actually through our awareness so if you place your awareness on the palms of your hands as we suggested earlier you're going to start to feel the flow in your hands and if you put them in the soles of your feet you're going to start to feel the soles of your feet so it's your awareness is amplifying the flow of energy to these specific parts so when you have an area in your body where there is some constriction restriction pain by literally just observing it the flow of energy to that area will increase so it's a, it's a really the powerful thing that has developed in my journey is this act of actually not trying to do but just being present with these different things and that really is all that is required yeah i mean in relation to that i listened to one of your podcasts that you did and you were talking about the time when you were working really hard and then you didn't sort of wasn't getting enough of those results and then you realize that you don't have to work hard if you can just be present and work even work less uh there's no much difference or results are better is that something that you, that you still find useful absolutely yeah it's this idea of like doing meditation and at the beginning it can be valuable to engage the mind in that process because that's the way that the mind is orientated so you activate it and this is kind of how the the eight week program that I share is starting in that way it's it's reasonably active at the moment but then um at the beginning it's really reasonably active and then it it evolves into actually this place of just beingness you know we're human beings and that state of being is actually just presence the more that we're able to be in connection with the in- sensations in the entire body at once simultaneously it's much easier to relax into non-doing yeah somebody said in this podcast i think we're not human doings we're human beings i think that's a that's a popular phrase mm-hmm. and as soon as we we keep that in mind as long as we keep that in mind then the life starts to show you in you know other ways awesome uh, there is uh, the last section is rapid fire questions so different questions i ask every guest don't have to be short you can answer a long form any form you want just similar questions uh, in your journey what do you think was the biggest failure so far and what did you learn from it i would say that i spent a year and a half before coming to bali moving from place to place and really trying to make it work and it came from this place of really trying to be seen really trying to make things work and it came from a lot of pushing and from a lot of struggle i really spent a lot of time working on changing my internal environment and the process of leaving the uk and working as a medical doctor in the way that i was working at it was this ambition to put myself into a challenging situation and to see how i would fare in that new environment with all of the different tools that i had learned and i would say that it was just a beautiful exploration that up-leveled me in a lot of different ways and so i certainly see it as a gift but i certainly also see that there are a lot of things that i could have done along that journey that would have made my life a lot more easeful and i also don't feel i don't feel i would be here if they didn't happen is there any particular lessons that you want to share saying okay even looking back if you would do this then probably you would have a better result looking back have a better result 
or different zone. The one like I mean, you already have all your experience. You sort of failed, or you experienced something, and then you became better. So, what was some of the learnings from it that that you carry forward now in whatever you're doing? I would certainly say that this idea of actually using intention a lot more in life, as opposed to really trying to go out and make things happen. And this is more for me and the way that I am orientated. A lot of the things that come to me in life are through invitation. A lot of the wonderful things, even my relationship with my partner comes through invitation. And so I've spent a lot of my life working in an opposite way of really trying to make things happen. And what I've discovered now is the most important thing for me is to get my internal state right and then the external world will provide the right opportunities for me and I'll get invited into the right kinds of things and it will be more of a of a case of the right situations arising for me as opposed to me going and struggling and trying to make things happen Beautiful. so in in that journey where I was also probably working from a considerable amount of stress trying to make things happen it's only now that I've really worked on allowing things to happen and struggling and forcing a lot less that my quality of life has really improved and the situations and the invitations are arriving so I'm I'm happy to have had that experience to show me that actually this, this doesn't resonate with me anymore to perform in that way beautiful we talk about some routines the one was when you write down things at night what are some of the other routines that help you to get into a good state every day i feel like movement of the body every day is important in whatever way that we want to do that whether that be going for a walk or going to the gym or practicing yoga that is very important and then in combination with breath work and with meditation and the other thing that's really really valuable is actually something called shadow work okay which is something that i that i share with my clients and it's this process of using life and the mirrors that life provides to show you what inside you needs to come into balance. How does your morning look like? Like what time do you wake up and what do you do? Yeah, so I wake up around 6 or 7 a.m. and basically have a morning ritual of going to the bathroom and then sit down and meditate and practice yoga will be either Ashtanga yoga or Kriya yoga. I'm making sure that I'm not going on my phone until I finish my practices. Drinking lemon water. I recently started drinking celery juice every right. morning. And so I feel like that really sets me off in a, in a good way. My day doesn't fully start until around 10.30. But when I've had that set up to my day, it completely catalyzes everything that I do. I feel like I'm really in an aligned state. And then everything that I'm focusing on my interactions, they're coming a lot more effortlessly and things are going a lot more harmoniously. And how does your diet look like? So I'm vegetarian, mostly plant-based. I'm not really eating processed foods. I'm making an effort not to eat fried food, reducing sugar. I feel like that's probably, for me, the thing that works the best. What, what do you have for breakfast today? Today I had an omelette with uh, with duck eggs that are f- like from the fields here. Oh. Ducks are, yeah, totally like organic, free-range eggs 
with some peppers and mushrooms and I need I need a WhatsApp number of the guy who yeah I'll hook you up yeah <laughs> delivers it's good stuff yeah it's a good question um, what about the night routine night routine really it's speaking to my partner we'll just have a chat about how our day went and we tend to to connect to gratitude before we go to sleep I feel like it's a really nice thing to as you're laying in bed to connect to the physical body and the sensations in the body to connect to the breath and to this feeling of of what you're grateful for as you fall asleep because what that's doing is it's helping you to reprogram your subconscious mind in those hours that you're asleep so that's that's also been very very valuable for me beautiful and the other question i have is what are some of the beliefs that you used to hold it can be a year ago a month ago 10 years ago choose any time frame that you don't hold anymore well it was the a lot of the beliefs and associations that i had with the mind that i was a wonderful thinker and that the more that i could intellectualize life the more i could analyze and calculate with my mind the more effective and efficient that i would be and now what i'm experiencing is that when i'm able the more i'm able to connect to this space where there really isn't much going on in my mind the place that i'm acting from is is one that comes from intuition that comes from within and it tends to be working a lot more effectively than it was when i was really trying to work everything out using my mind beautiful um if you could meet your younger self let's say when you're a medical doctor or maybe you're starting your medical career you would meet him the way you are right now uh what would you say i would give him a hug i would really, give him a hug i'd look him in the eyes and i would just tell him that he just needs to carry on doing exactly what he's doing and that he's he's good enough and he's doing his best and that he's loved and that he's appreciated beautiful if you could meet a person who is dead or alive anyone and have a chat with them who do you think that would be and what would you talk about i'd like to meet mahatma gandhi i feel like some of the things that he represented the service to others and also this dynamic that he had with power that he wasn't seeking power over others he wasn't seeking to increase his own sense of self but really just trying to to be in the highest service that was possible i feel like he's a really good example for that and that's one that i really admire beautiful interesting question for a medical practitioner slash holistic health coach what do you think happens after we die yeah i feel like it doesn't end i feel like it's a never-ending continuation of consciousness the sense of self disappears but the ever-pervading sense of presence that lies within us continues on a journey that i have no idea what it looks like but i'm excited to experience when the moment is right <laughs> wow love that i love the last part excited experience when the moment is right that, that sounds great uh the last question i do ask is how to live a happy and fulfilled life i feel like happiness comes from a state of presence that when we are connected to the present moment there's this flow of energy through us which is connected to that state that we discussed that eternal state and my belief and my experience is that eternal state is joyful is blissful is happy 
that when we're, I mean, Eckhart Tolle says this in The Power of Now, that any mundane activity, when done with full presence, will transform and become joyful. And so that's something I'm working on now is to be fully present with all of the life admin. Yeah, beautiful. Well, Manish, those are all my questions. Before we go, how can people find out more about you if they want to work with you, any project that you, that you want to share? Yeah, so my website is www.drmanishplaha.com. We'll put the show notes, yeah. And my Instagram is a, a place where people can send me messages. And there is not a huge amount on YouTube, but the diaphragmatic videos and a few different breathwork videos I've uploaded on there. And I'm looking to post more content soon, but that could be useful. Some people that are looking to transform their relationship with the breath, but I'm always happy to be contacted for advice and support. It's yeah. really what makes me feel happy to, to be here. Awesome. We'll put those diaphragm videos in the show notes as well. I'm going to watch them to start to breathe with a diaphragm. So you guys will, will hear me breathing next time with a full <laughs> diaphragm. Um, thank you, man. I really appreciate you. You bring a lot of wisdom to my life. And uh, thank you. I'm really grateful for the invitation. Thank you so much for creating this space, Anatoly. And for everybody listening, you guys know where to find us, so I'm not going to even say that. I'll see you next one. Bye-bye.